Dreamville, where no one sleeps deeply. The pillows are bad and the sheets are made cheaply. But there is one family in the Sleepyville town that uses my pillow for the best sleep around. My pillows are adjustable for proper alignment, and the Giza sheets breathe so they feel no confinement. So order my pillow for great sleep refinement. Why are they so chipper? Their co-workers wondered. So much energy and zest, like they've had the best slumber. And when they peeked in the window, the secret was clear. My pillow sheets, pillows, and mattress toppers appeared. My pillow is breathable and lasts more than 10 years. It's washable and dryable and was manufactured right here. Giza cotton is what makes the softest of sheets, and the mattress topper helps support pressure points for deep, dreamy sleep. So click the link below to stop counting sheep. We want my pillow! The citizens of Sleepyville cried, but they didn't realize the family had a surprise inside. They were all given a my pillow to keep. We spent a third of our life snoozing, so let's make it quality sleep. I got towels too. And mine are blue. So welcome to my pillowville where everyone sleeps on the pillows that align and the softest of sheets. With the support of the mattress topper, the people snooze deep and wake up well rested and their deadlines they keep. So if your bed feels like rocks and your sheets feel like Brillo, you need better sleep, which means you need my pillow. So what are you waiting for? Go ahead, click the button. I'm tired of rhyming, so please click it and save me. Please, I can't rhyme anymore. Just click that link. Stop watching this and click the link to get the best sleep of your life. I know you're out there. I can feel you now. I know that you're afraid. You're afraid of us. You're afraid of change. I don't know the future. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. I'm going to hang up this phone, and then I'm going to show these people what you don't want them to see. I'm going to show them a world without you. A world without rules and controls, without borders or boundaries. A world where anything is possible. Where we go from there is a choice I leave to you. No, the government can't tell me what it is that I believe. They're all poisoned out and brainwashed up in Washington, D.C. I can't be bought, I can't be twisted up, cause I know who I am. Ain't no army gonna take my right to come up on my land. Granddaddy gave me this gun and the flag in my yard. He told me war is hell, so you better stay on. Said don't go starting a fight, but defend what is yours. They try to force your hand, drag your name through the mud. But they can't take that patriot out of your blood. Out of your blood. A hundred million patriots like me Ain't gonna stand aside, ain't gonna retreat Men in boots built this country from the ground Men in suits are busy tearing it down Granddaddy gave me this gun and the flag 
begging my yard. He told me war is hell, so you better stay on. Said don't go starting a fight, but defend what is yours. They try to force your hand, drag your name through the mud, but they can't take that patriot out of your blood. Out of your blood. The greatest nation ever to exist lives deep within the blood of patriots. The greatest nation ever to exist lives deep within the blood of patriots. When Daddy gave me this gun and the flag in my yard, he told me war is hell, so you better stay on. Said don't go starting a fight, but defend what is yours. They try to force your hand, drag your name through the mud, but they can't take that patriot out of your blood. Out of your blood. Out of your blood. And welcome back, fuckers, to another edition of the Patriot Party Podcast. I am the Mick, and with me, of course, is my much better, beloved, better butter half. v Hello, Patriots. So, folks, we got a uh, great guest today, um, Do- and I'm, I'm going to let yeah, so v introduce Do- him. Dr. Uh, Saeed Hadar, and I met him in Dallas, actually, uh, and I, I spent about, I only spent about 10 minutes talking to him, but it was a very, we got very in-depth right off the bat. Um, so... Dr. Saeed actually completed his residency in internal medicine at New York Methodist Hospital in Brooklyn, New York. Oh, wow. Which is a kick-ass hospital. Yeah, right right up the road from where we grew up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, He worked for 10 years uh, as an internal medicine hospitalist. He also trained in functional medicine, lifestyle medicine, and Chinese medicine. And uh, since December 2020, Dr. Saeed has focused entirely on covid prevention, uh, early treatment. He was the first physician in the U.S. to widely use fluvoxamine for the treatment of COVID starting in February of 2021. And now he's focused on getting prevention and early treatment kits to as many people as possible. And, you know, based on on his training, just the fact that he's he studied, you know, so many doctors are so they have blinders on. They're so focused on just their their one little aspect of medicine. Like they miss the forest for the trees all the time. You know, the fact that he studied Chinese medicine, lifestyle medicine, functional medicine really tells me right off the bat that he's focused on his patients, on on getting his patients healthy, not just on, on treating the entire patient. So because it's rare to see doctors these days that are are trained in in multiple, so many different e- multiple exactly. aspects of medicine. Yeah. Um, so uh, so I'm I'm really interested to to hear his perspective on everything that's going on in the world today. So as am I. Yeah. So let's bring him in. So without further ado, mm-hmm. uh, Doctor Saeed is here with us today. Hello, sir. How are you? Welcome. To I'm the great. Great. It's great to be here. Yeah. It was such a pleasure talking to you at uh, in Dallas. So I'm I'm glad that we got to connect online now. Yes, absolutely. Absol- yeah, we uh, absolutely love it. So tell me, tell me, uh, you were in 
so tell me your story, I guess, where, where, how you ended up in Dallas, I guess that's the bigger question. Yeah. So, um, I, I guess probably the only reason I ended up there is because I've been doing, um, this, you know, COVID-19 off-label protocols for more than a year now. And so I kind of got looped into that whole crowd. And then I met, uh, I don't know if you've heard of them, but the resistance chicks, they, they have a small podcast and they go around the country and then they connected me with Clay Clark's tour and said, Hey, you know, there's a bunch of like-minded people. You should go and, you know, plug yourself into this and, and meet them. So, you know, I was doing the media room in Dallas and I was doing a bunch of, you know, podcasts and interviews. Um, and so, so that, that's how I got into it. Um, Otherwise, like I, I probably we probably never would have connected. Right. Um, I think this what's happened here in America has brought a lot of people together who probably never would have met, you know, um, people from different walks of life and and even a lot of people with different um you know, worldviews and, you know, kind of like when, when you look at the Canadian truckers, it's like people from all across the spectrum are, are really coming together. Um, and, and a lot of people who um, like, for example, I just saw like a lot of people who voted Democrat have actually shifted to the Republican Party in the United States. Um, and and why is that? Because like the, the Democratic agenda is just, you know, it's going off the rails. People are like, I mean, what is going on here? How can we, you know? We just don't recognize this, uh, you know, these liberals that we grew up with anymore. Um, and so I think like a lot of people um, from my background, I grew up in a liberal household and it took me like years, you know, to really get, you know, red pilled in a bunch of different ways. Right. Um, it's not just like a one time deal you know it's like multiple topics you know you have to like really start doing in-depth research and um just be exposed to a different um worldview and a different set of beliefs and a different um kind of conversation right and it's a it's a long drawn out process so I, I think it like the longer answer is it took me it took me years to get there right um probably three four or five years you know of going down different rabbit holes and realizing that I had been fed a bunch of lies my entire life, you know? Um, and what, those, uh, what were some of the most significant rabbit holes that you went down that, that opened your eyes to what's really going on? You know, so, um, obviously medicine is a big one. I mean, I'm a physician, so, um, I had been exposed to like, um, you know, I, I had done a lot of research before COVID-19 and understood that, you know, the, the lies that pharmaceutical companies tell and how easy it is for them to to create studies that just, you know, affirm whatever they're looking for. And, um, for example, like um, I had done some research on psychiatric drugs. Right. And um, realize and, and read a bunch of books about it. Right. So there's the emperor's new drugs. And these were written decades ago, um, anatomy of an epidemic showing that um, the psychiatric epidemic, you know, in this country um, really kind of got started with the introduction of psychiatric drugs. So, for example, with schizophrenia, you know, like 100 years ago, the natural course of schizophrenia was 80 percent of people recovered. 20% kind of had an issue um, chronically. And now those numbers have actually flipped in the United States. Now it's only 20% of people kind of recover from it and 80% end up having a chronic problem. And so the argument in that book was that these psychiatric drugs that we've introduced for anxiety, depression, schizophrenia, OCD, all these things actually kind of worsen the disease progress and, and, and cause it to kind of like persist. And and that was kind of one of the stepping stones for me as a physician to start to get my wrap my head around this idea that the the chronic disease drugs that I was prescribing to people were in many cases, I think, you know, this is kind of like a theory of mine, um, 
actually worsening the, the underlying disease process and extending it, right? And so, so you see this with a lot of different things. You see it in, in the course of diseases. Uh, nowadays, physicians have gotten used to this, that things just always continue to get worse, right? You add one, you, you start a hypertensive patient on one medicine, and then you have to add another medicine, then you have to add another medicine. Like along over the years, you keep adding medicines. And, and so I did a lot of work in hospitals and all around the country. And what I would see time and again would be these elderly, like 60, 70 year old patients on like four or five different antihypertensive drugs. And, and there was, and you couldn't control their blood pressure anymore. It just kept going up yeah. to the point where like, there was literally nothing we could add. You know, we had added everything that we could think of every like class of drugs and you couldn't, and you would max them all out. Um, and there was nothing left. Um, and then outside of medicine, you know, I, I kind of got into, you know, JFK and 9-11 and, you know, a bunch of different things. Um, and, and so like my, my kind of like journey um, was that, so I, I had never voted in a presidential election until the last election. But if I had, right, like if I had voted, for example, I was, I was in Florida uh, at the University of Florida when um, Bush and Gore went head to head, right? And I was like kicking myself, you know, he, he, you know, lost by like 600 votes or something. I could have voted and could have kept, you know, I, and I probably would have voted for Gore at that point because I'd grown up in this liberal household and had these kind of like democratic ideas as a kid. Um, but, uh, you know, I also came from kind of a conservative family at, at the same time, right? Like religiously conservative, right? Like believing in like family values and things like that. And, and that's like so divorced from the democratic party now. Right. And, um, you yeah. know, in, 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 in they Trump's, even, they don't even yeah. believe in the nuclear family. I mean, they don't, no, even no, 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 there's no, all kinds of things, right? Like LGBTQ yeah. and like, you know, targeting the kids with like these sex change operations and like, um, I mean, so many different things that I just like, I look at, it, I'm like, what is this bizarre stuff? You know, where did this come from? Um, and so, yeah, so, so I, I, I guess I just realized, I, I mean, I was never really that political growing up, right? Like, I, I don't think a lot of people really were. You didn't really, I, like when I was growing up in America and probably you guys had the same experience. I, I don't know, maybe not, but like 20 years ago, 20 to 30 years ago, right? I was growing up, I'm early 40s. Um, I didn't know the political persuasion of any of my friends, right? In college, like if I, if you had asked me like, what do, what do your friends like believe on different political issues? I would not have known the answer to this for any of my friends, honestly. Like I never, it never even occurred to me to think about it or to ask about it. And I probably never spent much time thinking about it either. So I came from this generation that, um, at least in my experience, um, and, and the people I grew up with, uh, we, we didn't really have those conversations much. But now everything has become political, right? It's like mm. you cannot escape politics. You know, yeah. like every decision or every belief you have is suddenly a political belief. You know, even even like medicine has become politicized, right? Like, you know, drugs have become political. You know, if the if Trump says do something, we're not going to do it, right? We're going to like, you know, pile on top of him and, uh, you know, castigate him and, and say this drug is the devil's drug. You know, like what happened with hydroxychloroquine? Um, so, so now we've become an extremely politicized and polarized society. And it, and it's kind of, it was kind of strange for me, um, you know, but now it's kind of natural. It just seems like this is the natural order of things. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I, I think I kind of got off track. But No, I mean, we, we're about the same age. We're, we're in our early 40s as well and, and grew up in kind of the, the same 
area. Same, same area you, know, yeah, you uh, went to like school up, in. Upstate New York or, you know, up Connecticut, which is basically upstate New York. And, and the same thing, you know, when we were growing up, no one really talked about race or politics or anything like that. I mean, I think that was the, probably the, yeah. the, the least politically and racially motivated generation that I can, you know, that, that I can even think of because no one cared, right? There wasn't, yeah, no one cared. I mean, we didn't care about politics. Like it was, it was kind of a joke. It was, you know, things just, mm -hmm. just went along and, and now you're right. Everything is, is so ridiculously political. It's my kids, my teenager comes home and he's like, he ha actually has his friends in his phone labeled as Patriot, Democrat, I mean, <laughs> um, yeah. and, and Gramps, because he's the conservative. So it, it's, it, it, everything is so political these days. It's, it's, it's kind of ridiculous and it, it almost seems planned, right? Like, yeah, uh, no, definitely. I totally agree with you on this. I just want to, I have to jump in here please. that people don't realize, you know, you have to really understand the way our federal government works and the way our three letter agencies work. They want to divide us, right? That's the easiest way to control any population. And they do it all around the world and they do it in the United States, right? Like I, I literally just saw, you know, like I, you know, I sometimes scroll through Apple News, right? So there was this article in a mainstream media outlet um, talking about this guy who had spent like, I don't know, decades, uh, this white dude spent decades trying to infiltrate, you know, white supremacist organized, you know, quote unquote, white supremacist organizations. Um, and so, so this is their playbook, right? They infiltrate those groups and then they sow discord and division, right? They, they want to like get you fighting, infighting and, and, you know, fighting against each other, split you apart. And, and then, you know, people are easy to control. And so like one, one of the things I've been kind of harping on lately um, with people is that, yes, there are, tremendous divisions between us right like all kinds of like differences that we can spend you know all day arguing about if we want to but we all of us regardless of our differences in the world today like not even americans but like every person in the world right outside the elite circles is has one common enemy right which is the totalitarian movement against us, right? Like we are being targeted by governments everywhere in the world, you know, not just the United States. And they're coming for our freedoms, right? They're coming for things that we have, um, you know, freedoms that we have relied on and enjoyed for our entire lives, right? And and in some cases for hundreds of years, right? The freedom yep. of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of religion, you know, freedom to congregate and practice your religion, freedom, you know, all uh, just all kinds of bodily autonomy, right? Like the, the ability to decide what goes into your own body, right? Like, I mean, literally, like, we're treating us like slaves at this point, right? Like, I mean, you know, this is what was done to slaves in the United States around the world, you would like, force medical treatments upon them, right? Um, th this is not something that you do or can do to free people. You know, so so people have to realize they have to wake up and realize you're being treat you're, you're being treated like slaves. Okay, I mean, for God's sake, you know, just understand that, and 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 then you know, reframe that right in your minds. Um, and if people did and understood that, you know, it's kind of like the whole matrix thing. It's like people are asleep; they're sheep; they don't understand what's actually happening to them. But if they did, they would revolt, right? And and the only way a, a revolt is successful is if it's you know a combined effort, a coalition of of different you know groups, and and you come together, or at least it's like a significant enough percentage of the population, you know, that has some weight. And and it's not fighting against itself; it's like 
presents a united front, you know, and that, you know, whether it's and, and it could be done by by just the right, you know, or, or just the Patriots. Right. If if we get enough. Right. And if we're not all fighting with each other, you know, yeah, yes. um, and we've found out recently that that uh, they've they've done exactly that. They've attempted to to infiltrate the Patriot movement and. Um, in fact, I think some of them have been planted there from the beginning specifically to to sow discord and distrust amongst us because they are terrified of us revolting yeah. against them. You know, they they recognize that there are so many more of us than there are of them. And, and they they try and change the narrative to make everyone think that they are the majority. And and really, that's that's not the case. Um, I saw this. This came out in NPR yesterday. This kind of blew me away. Um, as part of a a larger article, but this one paragraph got to me, it said, constitutionalism, in quotes, is a far-right ideology that means, in essence, that people don't have to recognize any laws or authorities that they don't like beyond the Constitution itself. Oh, God. Yeah, this is so funny for me, right? Because I I grew up listening to NPR, right? Like, every time... Every time we got in the car, my mom turned on NPR, right? So literally, I was just like, you know, this is part of the brainwashing thing that happened, you know, as as, a, as so many of us were growing up. Yes. Um, you, you, had, uh, you had the same reaction that I did, but it goes back to uh, something we have been talking about, which is uh, Vilan likes to say that they're trying to change the narrative. I, I said they're, they're not changing the narrative. They're make, reconstructing the narrative so it's more politically useful for them. And they do this all the time. They say things that are just absolutely ludicrous and bonkers like that. Um, and one of the things they've got to do, and there's something, there is an overall goal if you've watched um, in the past, I don't know, two years, really, especially in the last two years, there's an overall goal they're going for. For instance, the January 6th rioters, um, and that's the perfect example, is that we all have to be labeled as uh Rioters, rioters, insurrectionists, insurrectionists domestic terrorists, yep, racists, yep. because it all falls under white supremacy. And white supremacies are already listed by the DOJ as a terroristic movement. And they have the right to, uh, you know, go after them and uh, prosecute them, what, however, which way they want to. So everything has to fall within the white supremacist bubble. If you read that, um, how they listed that, it's a right, right-wing ideology. It's a white Far right ideology. Yes. And of course, as far as they're concerned, far right always means white, right? Yep. There's, they don't recognize any other, any people of color on the nope. far, like they called Candace Owens, the new face of white supremacy <laughs> after they called Larry Elder, the same thing, same thing. right? Yep. I mean, <laughs> so, I mean, the whole thing falls in that bowl and for that bowl to be full, for them to be able to come after us, everything has to come down to that one point, which is white supremacy or, um, white nationalism, however you want to put it, but you, they have to do it that way. So that way, when they attack us, they can say, oh, well, you're just a racist. This is just another perfect example, that paragraph you just read, which absolutely, I had the same reaction you did. I started laughing going, what? <laughs> How, NPR said, okay, because, I'm, I'm done. You know, they've, they've come after our, our different amendments one at a time. Mm-hmm. And now they're, they're coming after the entire constitution and they've hinted at that, you know, they've hinted at, you know, they want to get rid of the constitution. It's, it's a, a dead document. We know it's a living document and it, it's still pertinent. It, it applies to today. Just I mean, like it, it did back it's then. It's more pertinent today than it, than it was then, I think. But uh, that's why they're trying to get rid of it. Um, so, well, well, I actually have a question going back to your medical background, because I'm interested to hear this one. How many like because you 
uh, as V. Lin was reading off your stuff, you are, you did the Chinese medicine, you did, you studied Chinese medicine, you, you were functional, you did functional medicine, um, you did normal medicine. How, didn't you find that those topics kind of like fought against each other while you were learning them? Wasn't like one telling you to do something that the other one was probably telling you, yeah. hey, you really shouldn't do that. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I started off. Hold on. All right. Let me see. All right. Excellent. We got you back. Wonderful internet. Hold on a second. We got to start. What happened? I got to start recording again. Stand by. There we go. We pause it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Google must be censoring us. That's not a. <laughs> yeah, that's the first time it's happened. Um, I have had some connectivity or like trouble like joining podcasts a couple of times, getting kicked out, but not because of internet reasons. I don't know if that was an internet issue or what. Um, but to answer your question, um, you know, I start off studying um, just, you know, regular medicine. And I was really, you know, kind of excited when I started med school. And it and it could, took me probably a, a year, a couple of, a few years of actually practicing medicine to start to realize that like, hey, like we're not actually fixing anything. We're just like keeping people sick. Um, and -hmm. just kind of stringing them along and, and they're, they're not getting better. We're not getting to the root cause. We're not talking about life lifestyle change, even though we know that, um, it makes a huge difference and we weren't even taught about it in med school. But when I started like, kind of like branching out and looking into it, I realized that it's been well known in even like conventional circles that lifestyle changes can like correct and fix a lot of problems, right? Like you can Mm -hmm. get rid of high blood pressure and you can get rid of asthma or like you can get rid of diabetes. You can get rid of a lot of you know, chronic medical problems that we deal with all the time, just just by changing your lifestyle, right? Um, exercise, diet, you know, um, stress management, just, you know, like a whole lifestyle kind of package. Um, and then, you know, I started looking into, you know, branching out from lifestyle medicine into functional medicine, and, you know, which really focuses on trying to get to that, the root causes, you know, it's usually more than one issue, um, that are creating inflammation or whatever. And, and, and then, you know, I, kind of dabbled in Ayurvedic medicine, Chinese medicine, um, these kind of like old, you know, ancient medical systems that had been around for thousands of years. And, and yes, you know, the, the farther I got off the beaten track, um, the more, you know, the more different the approach was, right? So like what one thing that's like really different is that the, you know, the more traditional systems and the, the, the kind of alternative systems, they don't really want to really focus on suppressing your symptoms right they they oftentimes think of like um symptoms as getting something bad out of you right so like why would you want to stop that right like why would you want to stop coughing up the junk right why would you want to keep it in your lungs why would you want to stop having the diarrhea you want it's getting something bad out right like whatever the illness is it's getting it out um Mm -hmm. whereas you know here you know in the u.s and in much of the western world um we just, we don't want to deal with it. You know, it's like, this is uncomfortable. I got to get back to work. I got to get back to my life and I have no time for this. Right. Um, so let's just stop it, you know, and, and, you know, who cares, you know, it's not going to cause me any problems, but I think what people don't realize is that oftentimes when you, when you stop that process from happening artificially, um, it just kind of, um, stays in you it stays yeah. in you it prolongs it and then it may actually become like a chronic recurring issue right like i i, I see a lot of people every year at the same time you know they get sick again you know and it's the same symptoms all over again and um 
you know, one of the things that might explain that is like the, the environmental, you know, conditions are exactly the same. Um, and, and this thing, you didn't actually get it all out the last time around, you know, and now kind of like the conditions that brought it out are, are the same as they were before last year. And now you get the same issue. And, you know, truly healthy people, they don't get sick every single year like clockwork right like it's like occasionally they get sick you know mm-hmm. um and so I've, I've seen this um with my children who you know very early on we decided to stop vaccinating you know um my my first child um so i wasn't actually in the hospital right like i was off working somewhere and my wife ends up in the hospital and i told her right like don't let them give you antibiotics don't let them you know do this and that because i knew at that point that they disrupt you know healthy gut bacteria and just like healthy bacteria everywhere and um they're linked to like childhood illnesses and asthma and diabetes and all kind of obesity and all kinds of things right and and i just knew that like it's it's not necessary for them to like give like pregnant ladies antibiotics while they're going through labor if you know something random happens right like uh, you don't have an infection you know they're just like hanging these antibiotics like just in case kind of thing um and i was telling her you know don't let them do the silver nitrate you know in the eyes and and or that silver thing that they put in the eyes um after birth and i I kind of like told her like you know gave her a heads up what they're going to try to do and so she was um she ended up in and we had had like this plan, okay, you should go to this particular hospital, but she ended up in, in a different one. And um, and this hospital, you know, what I found, like the fancy new modern hospitals are often like, like the most medieval in their approach, you know? Um, and so they were just like, it was just like a terrible experience. They were, you know, she, she kept like saying like, I, I want to do things this way and that way. And um, I don't want this. I don't want that. And, and they were like threatening to call child protective services on her. <laughs> they were like, you know, you're a bad mother, you know, like, what do you, you know, you're not listening to us, you know, we're going to call these people and, and threatening her, you know, it was like a terrible environment to be in. Um, and then like they, they eventually ended up, um, you know, hanging some antibiotics because like the, the labor wasn't progressing or something, you know, it wasn't going as fast as they wanted. Um, like they just want to get you in and get you out, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so, so, so that, that our first child was exposed to antibiotics, you know, right there, um, during birth. And, um, and then later on, like he had issues with like peanut allergies and he had, and then I, I think we probably gave him maybe one vaccine or something. Like we, we got started with vaccinations um, before I'd really looked a lot into it. And, and so like he, he went through this kind of like tough period in the first few years of his life where he, he kept getting sick and he had like viral pneumonia. And again, I had to like, the, the doctor came to me and he's like, this kid has viral pneumonia. It's a virus but we're going to give him an antibacterial. Okay. And I was like, did you just hear what you just said? <laughs> you know, like, why would you give him a bacteria antibacterial if he has a virus? <laughs> you know, and this is how medicine works. You know, they just like throw every, the kitchen sink at the people. Um, and so I, I, I was there at that time and during that hospitalization with my kid, and I was like, no, you cannot give him an antibiotic, you know, that's going to kill all, bac- all the bacteria in his body because he has a virus. You know, that these two things don't make any sense. These words that are coming out of your mouth, mouth make no sense. Um, and uh, and that's, so like. That's really interesting. I'm sorry to interrupt, but um, I, I didn't know that about antibiotics. And I was given anti- they, they hung antibiotics with me in our in my first pregnancy because um, they said I had strep B and. Uh, and then, and our, our oldest son, and he's 15 now, but he had uh, chronic ear infections, had to have tubes in his ears, had a uh, twisted urethra, um, febrile seizures. I mean, he, 
he didn't really pop a fever, but he'd get like he got pneumonia and he got bronchitis and all of a sudden he'd pop but, a fever but when of, he like did, 104 yeah, degrees when he, something like that. He wouldn't go immediately to like up like to 100 degrees, but like when he was really sick, all of a sudden he yeah, went he, from like 97, you know, 97.6 degrees to 104 degrees and yeah. it was like that quick. And then, yeah, and, and now he's got ADHD and, and we had a limited vaccine schedule for him because we have a, a family allergy to vaccines in my family. So we, we stay away from a large majority of them. Um, but yeah, now we're dealing with ADHD and, and he was on Adderall for a while. We've since just recently taken him off in the last yeah. uh, this this year, and and it seems to have you know his his issues seems to have resolved themselves. He's still an annoying teenager, but he's fifteen, so you know that's to be expected. Um, but he doesn't seem to have the same focus and concentration issues. It 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 really disturbs me that they treat kids with medications and parents don't know any better. We didn't know any better, uh, and you know for just being kids really it's it's kind of ridiculous we just had a guest on actually who talked about the same thing you did except uh he followed his daughter his daughter was born and when his daughter was born he followed his daughter you know to the you know to where they were putting the, the initial table yeah. the initial you know where they look her over and everything and the first thing he, they did was they stuck her with a, a hep, hep b. b and i he's just like the only way you can get hepatitis b is from intravenous drug use or sex um i'm pretty sure she's not doing any one of those things right now how, right. How, how, yeah. Somebody had B shot when they're not even a day old. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> you know, it, it's ridiculous. Some of the things that are being done nowadays. Um, but just to like continue that story, I kind of had the same experience, right? Like I, um, like the end of that story was that, um, that our first child, like we basically like just drew the line and we were like no more antibiotics right and so like after a couple of years of getting like respiratory infections or suspected respiratory infections and like um eventually kind of like we figured out that like he was allergic to like different things like he was allergic to cats he was allergic to peanuts um and some of those you know, possible like suspected respiratory infections may have just been like allerg allergic reactions to things that he was exposed to. Um, so then, you know, we started obviously, you know, avoiding the peanuts and avoiding the cats. And, and so a couple of years, you know, after this whole like difficult period for him, he stopped having these like persistent, like recurrent, like issues, stopped ending up in the hospital, stopped having like asthma attacks and, and everything kind of like cleared up. Um, but I think that if I had like done, you know, the things that are normally told to parents to do, which is like give antibiotics, right? Just in case it's a bacterial infection, um, go ahead and throw some antibiotics at it. I think he would have ended up spending his whole childhood having, like you said, recurrent ear infections and recurrent upper respiratory infections and, and just like, it never would have gone away. Right. Mm -hmm. So like if you just like stop throwing all these drugs at kids, they eventually just kind of like most of them will just kind of like grow out of it. And, and it might take a couple of years and it might you know be kind of like difficult to like hold the line. But um, and, and then what we saw with our next two kids is like they had none of these problems. And, and like we, we didn't you know give them antibiotics. We didn't give them anything really um, from the beginning, from day one, you know, from the day they were born. And and they they've never had ear infections. OK, <laughs> like my, like oh. you, the usual experience of kids of many kids, like a huge majority of children in America is like. All, almost yearly ear infections and like throat infections and like, you know, all kinds of things. And, and our kids, like they basically, it's like rare for them to be sick. You know, they're, they're just not sick. And so I, I think it's like, you have to, you have to let their bodies develop naturally, right? You have to let them have like healthy bacteria. And, and I think a lot of parents don't realize that like, you know, the more 
courses of antibiotics kids get exposed to, the higher the risk of asthma, diabetes, obesity, you know, like serious chronic diseases developing in childhood or later in life. I mean, so like they did some studies on mice showing that if they were exposed to antibiotics as babies or children, um, they did not actually develop obesity until middle age. You know, so like they appeared to be just normal mice until they hit middle age. And then all of a sudden, you know, like if they were just eating the normal chow, you know, they became obese and, and you had to really like limit their food severely and like give them like a super, you know, quote unquote healthy diet for a mouse in order for them to be a normal weight. Whereas like the mice that were not exposed to antibiotics, they just continued eating the way they always had and and didn't put on the pounds. Wow. That, uh, and that is, uh, well, that's uh, one of the reasons I asked, uh, obviously, but the Chinese, the Chinese medicine, would you consider that holistic medicine? Is that more uh, around what the Chinese, the way you were learning the Chinese, Chinese bit there? Yeah. So, I mean, it depends on how people practice it. So there's yep. a lot of herbal medicine in there, right? So there, there's herbal medicine, um, you know, traditions from all around the world, right? So the Chinese came up with their like pharmacopoeia of herbs that they can kind of combine in different ways to basically treat whatever condition you have. And they have like their own kind of like system of telling, you know, what, what the problem is and checking your pulse and figuring out which combination of herbs you need to address any problem. So they came up with like a, a combination of like, you know, about 400 herbs that you could combine in different ways to treat basically any condition. Um, although they have thousands and thousands of herbs that they, they, they have available. But what they discovered was you only need like a, a small like quantity of those that can be combined in different ways to, to kind of address anything. But, you know, there's herbal traditions that are, you know, Western herbal traditions also. Um, mm -hmm. So there's herbal traditions from all around the world. But the, so there, this is just kind of like the Chinese herbal tradition. And then obviously they use acupuncture as well. Um, as well as the herbs. And, and that's kind of like a different um, approach to it, but basically treating the body as a, kind of like a bioelectric organism or like an energetic organism, you know, treating energy pathways in the body um, as well as um, just like, you know, the chemistry of the body, right. Um, with herbs. So they, they, they had, they have that approach. Um, Ayurvedic medicine, you know, uses a lot of, um, you know, so, so I did kind of like dabble in that as well and kind of like work with an Ayurvedic practitioner for a while. Um, so he taught me a lot and they, they obviously use a lot of herbs too. And they also use things like yoga and breathing exercises a lot. Um, and in the Chinese, the other thing that they do um, is they oftentimes recommend things like um, Qigong, which is kind of like Tai Chi or like breathing plus movement, you know, exercises to like, which basically like calm you down. Right. And, and help energy to move freely by getting people to relax, you know, getting people to stay relaxed, you know, every day instead of, you know, a lot of times if, if you don't have like a everyday plan to address stress, like you will just get tenser and tenser and tenser as you get older. Um, and, and things don't move properly, right? When you're tensed up, you know, blood doesn't flow properly and, and diseases develop when things aren't like able to flow when there's blockages. That that's crazy that you mentioned that because um, <clears throat> I used to way 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 back in the day. One of the things that I uh, my dad started me on because he knew that I was pain in the ass right off the, the get go from the get go. He's just like you're just going to be the biggest punk that exists, and I'm just going to want to kill you True. your whole entire life. He still does, and literally he does. But um, no, one of the things we he got me into when I was a kid was Aikido. And the Japanese have the same thought. That is exactly what the Japanese practice. Their idea of acupuncture, their idea of uh, holistic medicine, if you will, it's more or less, I mean, yes, it is a martial art, but it's also there's even before I would, even before I was able, 
I wasn't able to actually start training with this guy until I was 15 years old because he refused because he refused to take kids. He said he will take uh, teenagers, but he will not take kids because kids can't understand what he's trying to teach. And that was fine. And I didn't speak a lick of Japanese, but, and I got for like the first, like six months I was there, I got my ass whooped on a, on a daily basis just because I would say something or do something wrong. And they don't, they teach in a very, it's very disciplined and you screw up and you get throttled. Not a big deal. I mean, for a young kid learning how to do it, it was great. Once you understood the whole thought process of it and what was going on, what they were teaching you, it was, it was a, it was a barn burner and I didn't learn it till much later on in life when I finally figured all of that out. And I said, man, I should have listened to that guy. He, he knew what he was talking about back then. But with all of that train, all of your joint medical training now, um, I'm going to guess that uh, you you don't like the jab. Um, I'm pretty sure you probably, that's probably most of the reason why you were in, in Dallas. But with that, what is your thought about the jab? How is, do you believe that this is being used the way it's supposed to be used? Because we just heard yesterday, we read an article yesterday, both of us, because we were driving to a political rally to help uh, one of our friends, Candace Taylor, become governor of Georgia. Um, we were going there and she was reading the news and she said, Hey, did you there? They just tested an AIDS. Um, oh, they're, they're starting now. Uh, trials, uh, tri trials on an MRNA based vaccine. HIV vaccine. That, and then at the same time, we're hearing, you know, uh, I think, uh, Luke Montagnier came out and said, uh, if, if you've had your booster, you should go get tested for HIV. And then he died. Yeah. Um, but but Which I see a, your book on, back up there off off of your right shoulder. Yeah, I was um, looking at the actually, your left shoulder. Yeah, uh, the truth of COVID nineteen. No, uh, the real Anthony Fauci. Anthony oh, Fauci yeah. screwed this up from the get go, mm -hmm. um, and he screwed up. He also screwed up freaking um, uh, AIDS. AIDS. Yeah, and now they're tr testing this. I I find this hard to believe. I mean, so what is your take on all of this? So, uh, you know, this whole AIDS debate, if, if people have read that book, um, he spends like, you know, a lot of pages talking about um, the origin of AIDS and um, and this idea that was put forth by um, very, very prominent um, scientists and virologists at the time that the the actual illness itself, right? The, the AIDS illness wasn't actually caused by HIV. HIV was just like a passenger virus that you happen to see um, in people. Um, and, and it wasn't actually the causative agent. So I, I think Luke Montagnier may have actually been receptive to this idea, you know, even though he's the one who discovered the AIDS virus, but um, the HIV virus. So, and their reasoning was that, um, it looked, the disease looks really different in different groups. So it looks really different in Africa and it looks completely different in, you know, drug users in America. And, you know, the, the suspicion of some of these scientists was that um, it's being caused by something else. It's being caused by nutrient deficiencies in some places, you know, um, in sub-Saharan Africa, you know, there's a lot of like nutritional deficiencies um, oh, yeah. and, and diseases may be caused by those. Um, and, and it was also kind of used to like, lump together a bunch of different previously already known diseases, right? Like Kaposi sarcoma and, and all these different things like quote unquote AIDS defining illnesses. Um, a bunch of like different diseases have been lumped under the umbrella of AIDS, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so so in the US, the, the 
the suspicion or the theory was that um, perhaps it's being caused by drug abuse or, or even like the drugs that are being given to treat AIDS, which are which in the beginning were quite toxic and still um, in some cases are quite toxic. Um, in other cases, they're, they're not quite as bad. Um, but, you know, so, so Anthony Fauci, so, so Anthony Fauci was, you know, involved in the AIDS kind of like, um, medicine industrial complex from the beginning and trying to develop a vaccine for it. I mean, they've been trying to do this for decades now, you know, maybe 20 years or more um, and, and constantly failing to do so, but spending, you know, tons of money on it. Um, and, and, and so like the, so many people now depend on the money spigot from the federal government that goes to the AIDS industry um, that like, it's like a, you know, it's like this machine that just continues, you know, soaking up um, money. And so a lot of people are invested, deeply invested in the whole idea of AIDS, right? And mm -hmm. um, and a lot of careers have been built on this HIV virus and the disease that it um, purportedly causes. Um, and so Anthony Fauci vilified the people who were trying to make this argument. And it was a, you know, it was a well thought out and well reasoned argument. And, and it was never really addressed properly in a scientific way by the scientific establishment. Um, it was just, it was the same thing that's going on now where um, a lot of people, you know, they bring up these red flags and these problems and, you know, scientific studies, and they're just shouted down, right? They're just like attacked for their character, or they're like, you know, labeled an extremist or, you know, you know, an anti-vaxxer or something without addressing any of the science that they're talking mm -hmm. about, right? So you have Robert Malone, you have Peter McCullough, you have Pierre Corey, you know, these giants in their fields, um, you know, Paul Merrick as well, you know, just, just really, really, um, incredible physicians and scientists and researchers who have been doing this for decades and who have, who are extremely, you know, widely published, you know, Peter McCullough is probably the most published cardiologist ever in history. Um, yeah. And, you know, Robert Malone had a hand in developing the mRNA technology and he's been in the industry for decades um, at the forefront of research on um, vaccines. And then you have Gert Vandenbosch who has worked with uh, Bill Gates Foundation and Gavi, and you know he's been involved in vaccines for decades, and um, just so many prominent people, right? Who who are real scientists and have been part of the conversation for a long time, like their entire careers. You know, they've been in the fold, mm -hmm. and and they've come out and said, like, you know, there's problems in bears. You know, there's uh, these vaccines may be killing people. They may be causing you know terrible vaccine injuries and and it may not be worth it to vaccinate maybe they don't they may not even work at all right and um and you know off-label drugs should be used and they work well and you know there's so many so much data showing that they work and and people in the federal government and in the mainstream um they don't address their um the scientific reasoning behind their arguments right or, or what they present scientifically they just attack them personally right yep. and or they set up like a straw man argument and knock it down but they don't they don't actually address the science right and and so like one of the people who's been trying to get debates going steve kirsch he's the one who bankrolled most of the fluvoxamine trials he's just like a tech entrepreneur who kind of got red pilled in, in terms of like COVID 19 and and went down this like rabbit hole and realized that the vaccines didn't i mean he got vaccinated like a lot of people robert malone got vaccinated you know like a lot of these prominent people actually were kind of like going along with the, the agenda and they they actually didn't dig deeply into it in the beginning right they they just kind of like trusted the fda you know which is what people don't realize is like 99.99 percent of the time 99.99 percent of physicians just trust what comes down you know the, the 
yeah, the Pike from the FDA and the CDC and the NIH, you know, whatever these, uh, you know, authorities say, they just go ahead and trust it. And they think that, you know, somebody smarter than me did the work. Right. So I don't have to and I don't have time to, you know, like, yeah. I, I, you know, a lot of patients who try to take their health into their own hands will have this experience. Well, they'll they'll take some studies to their, you know, doctor and be like, hey, look at these. You know, what do you think about these? Like, maybe we should try this. And they'll just be like, I don't have time to read this. They, they just refuse to even look at it. Right. Even if it's like a one page thing, you know, so the FLCCC that's been working on these off label protocols has like a one page thing that you can give to your doctor. But I guarantee you, like, it's like almost impossible to get any any physician to spend any time even looking, even glancing at it because they're automatically will just distrust it, right? They'll be like, this can't be true, you know, because the FDA says such and such. And, you know, they have tweeted about, you know, horse paste and, you know, why are you guys using this? And um, they just don't have the time or the headspace, you know, um, to, to think about it um, or to look into it. And um, so to get back to Anthony Fauci, you know, um, you know, he, he kind of vilified the, the physicians and he destroyed their careers. You know, these people who were trying to just have a conversation about the HIV virus and suggest that maybe we should, you know, reconsider this whole like story that we've built up around HIV and consider that maybe there's something else involved. Um, and so this avenue of research was never really, you know, developed or pursued at all. Um, and it's the same thing happening now, right? And Anthony Fauci is still in that position of control. Um, we're, we're not allowed to um, pursue any research that might suggest that the vaccines are, you know, unsafe or ineffective. We're not allowed to, not allowed to pursue any research that might suggest that off-label cheap drugs might work for COVID-19. Um, and, and so like, this is the experience researchers are having, like, um, you know, some researchers, they actually had studies um, accepted to be published by journals, peer reviewed, passed all the, you know, things, the journal editor was like, yeah, we're going to publish this. And then like the, the owner of the journal yanks it down or like, you know, just throws it in the dustbin. This yeah, has never happened before. Because <laughs> it goes against the narrative. Absolutely. It goes against and, the narrative. And uh, what people don't realize that I have to like stress is that this whole like approach is unscientific at the base, right? Like at, at its root, it's unscientific because the scientific method is that you try to disprove your theory. You have a theory, you know, it's not a fact, you know, it's uh, it's something that you're trying to disprove. And the more you can't disprove it, the stronger the theory gets. Yep. And so like, that's the way science actually works is you have a null hypothesis. If you remember from like science class in middle school and high school, that you're trying to disprove the theory. And then yep. if you can't disprove it, you continue to accept it. Right. And yeah. so now that we're not allowed to do that anymore, all we're allowed to do is publish studies that, you know, support the theory, you know, and mm -hmm. we're not allowed to publish any studies or even like pursue research that may actually throw some like light on the fact that maybe this theory is a little bit shakier than we realize. Maybe we need to reevaluate it. Maybe the vaccines, you know, maybe we need to look again at them and, and see. And and I kind of like had this suspicion and, and you know, from the start, right? Like that these vaccines, um, there's something fishy going on. And, and it's just that belief has gotten stronger and stronger, the more data and the more information we have now. Um, I mean, I think like the, 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 the red flags out there around vaccines are so large and so many, um, that 
I find it hard to understand at this point why people are still getting vaccinated. And like I read mainstream news and and you know media, and I, I see what they talk about and what they say, and they 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 don't back up the statements that they make, right? Like they they just say these things that like people who are unvaccinated are driving the pandemic, or they're you know more likely to get sick and be in ICUs, and it's not actually backed up by the data. No, and matter of fact, the data is completely the opposite on yeah. it. Matter of fact, it completely proves the other way, which says that if you are vaccinated, you're going to end up in a hospital. Where if you're not vaccinated, the, the hospitals are not full of vaccinated people. I Un, don't know. Mean unvaccinated, or unvaccinated people. people. They're full of vaccinated people. I mean, Britain just released a study just was last week that said that uh, 60% of the people in hospital right now in Britain, this is one of the reasons they got rid of everything. They got rid of their mandates. They got rid of their mass mandates. They got rid of everything because... 60% of the people in hospital right now in Britain right now have are vaccinated and they have COVID-19. It, it's actually worse. It's probably the numbers are probably worse than that because they, you know, they, they, they make it easy. They make it difficult to um, count people as vaccinated, right? Because like for the first two weeks after a vaccine, you're considered unvaccinated. So if you catch right. COVID and, and your immune system is actually weaker. So like they're, they're giving the vaccine a lot of benefit of the doubt and a lot of, you know, a lot of help you know, trying to like boost its numbers and boost its uh, supposed efficacy. Um, so a lot of people, you know, they actually get sick in those first couple of weeks after the shot and then they're counted as unvaccinated. So so even much, I, I think it's much greater than 60 percent. No, um, I'm sure it is. That's just the number that they put out. I'm sure it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they said, they said that. And one of the things that always um, and, and don't get, get us wrong here. Don't get us skewed. I am vaccinated. She's not. I am not. And I will well, not I get am, vaccinated. I am not fully vaccinated. What's the you difference will never between be fully vaccinated? Yeah, the difference That's between right. vaccinated and the unvaccinated is you're never fully you're never fully vaccinated. Fully vaccinated. Yes. Um, the the big thing is that I, I had the two shots. I had a like when it first came out the very like, beginning. right in the beginning. I got my first one first in December and fell for the narrative and was afraid of bringing it home to us. And, and I went and January 5th, I got my second shot and uh, I went and had my blood tested in July uh, by a buddy of mine. He's a doctor, works at a hospital in um, in and around the military. Anyway, he was a military doctor and he took my blood because he was interested to see because he had another theory. He had a theory that the guys that have been vaccinated with anthrax, which I have both of those like four times, um, they uh, the guys that have the anthrax vaccine, supposedly the anthrax vaccine is killing the vaccine, the COVID, COVID vaccine. And he was interested to see if my blood was still producing any spike, uh, any spike proteins on my, you know, mm -hmm. on, if that was the antibodies. Yeah. Yep. And so when I went to see him, um, he drew my blood and, uh, when I was up there in July and then, uh, I, w I was actually, we were going to Jamaica yep. for vacation and I had to, I was getting my passport done. That's the only way I could get my passport done. Cause we didn't travel anywhere last year. And so this year I was like, my passport expired in like two weeks before we left. She calls me on the phone. She goes, Hey, you got to go to DC, get your passport redone. I was <laughs> like, Oh Jesus. So, uh, I'm up there and he took my blood. And I was going back. Uh, he had a hematologist involved in this and it was a, like off the book study or something he was doing. He's thinking about publishing, uh, it, and he sat there and uh, he called me back. He goes, hey, by the way, you don't have any spike proteins in your blood. You have nothing. There's nothing. Antibodies, There's, yeah. <clears throat> there is no sign that you even got the vaccine. So I was like, well, what does that mean? He's like, it's one of two things. The anthrax actually did its job and it killed it and removed it from your body, which is very possible. He said, and or you got a placebo, which is very possible because in the beginning, if you remember, it was a double blind. There was a test group that were given 
just saline. And then there was a group that was actually given the vaccine. Um, and they neither side knew the the one giving it doesn't. So were know. you in the you, were you in the trial? No, no, the but, trial. No, but it, they he, said the first month in December. Yeah, that December, the first group up until February third. 30% of the shots given out to the general public were saline. Yep. Just because it was a double blind. Yeah, they were because they that was still considered the testing. Um, the, it, we're still in phase three trials. They've not released that yet. Right, so, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they they unblinded it. They started giving everyone the, the full vac vaccine yeah. with the added trade secret ingredient as of February third. After um, which we figured out that went through oh, Fauci's was, emails. Yeah, yeah we figured yeah, out through Fauci's that, emails that's in that Fauci's that's emails with the, came out that came out with the FOIA request. But they they had all this stuff, and I have nothing. I have absolutely nothing in my blood and i gotta tell you I, i've cut myself a number of times i'm i work outside all the time i gotta say that uh i have you know i've seen my blood my blood looks very different and i've given a lot of ivs i've put a lot of shots in people especially those that were uh, not necessarily alive when i gave it to them um being the first responder and i can tell you right now i've seen vaccinated blood and i've seen unvaccinated blood and even to someone who's as dumb as i am just looking at the color of the blood it is extremely different, almost uh, shades darker. Like yeah. my blood is very red. I look at an or a person who is vaccinated and looking at their blood and their blood is almost black. It's like and it dark was purple. Really, it was it was eerie the first time I ever saw it like that. And I actually had so my blind. So just to be clear, the, the vaccinated or the unvaccinated have the darker blood? Vaccinated. The vaccinated is significantly yeah, darker, yeah. Significantly. Like almost black. Yeah. Oh, like, a like it's so dark purple that I'd almost say it was black. And I was just like, wow, I've never noticed that before. But we were hanging a bag. We were doing, we were getting somebody, IV started on somebody. And I left the, I plugged the IV up and I dropped it on the floor because this was an emergency. And I was trying to get the IV started and the person wasn't exactly cooperating. So I was trying to hold, and you know, when you keep an IV bag down lower than the human body and you finally get the vein, the the blood starts to run down the tubing when I opened, I hooked it all up and I opened it up and I realized the blood was coming back out of the arm into the tube. And I'm sitting there looking at the going, wow, that is a really dark color. And then I picked it back up and hung it up and let the IV flow through. But it was that color that really threw me for a loop. Yeah. The crazy thing is that people in all different kinds of, um, you know, uh, walks of life are especially in medicine like different um or or like affiliated um you know uh areas of uh, medicine for like pathologists embalmers you know coroners you know all kinds of people are noticing these weird things now about people who've been vaccinated first responders nurses you know doctors and no one's coming out right there's like no or very few people are coming out some people have come out um but it's not making like a splash in the mainstream consciousness right because it's not allowed to um and so people are noticing all kinds of things right like there were embalmers noticing that like a lot of vaccinated people or maybe the majority or all of them they have these like clots in all their veins you know um that, that they've never seen before right like the blood is like much thicker than normal yeah. blood um and and coroners are you know people who have actually done the work to do a full autopsy um and know what they're looking for have found that the people like post-vaccine a lot of these deaths post-vaccine um anywhere from like depending on how certain you want to be anywhere from like 40 to 90 percent of deaths post-vaccine can be linked directly to the vaccine, you know, like inflammation and um, things that they've never seen before, right? Like all over the body. Um, and, 
you know, it's just like something new that's never been noticed before, seen before, you know, OBGYN seeing like vastly higher numbers of, you know, um, stillbirths and, you know, abortion or spontaneous abortions and things like that. Um, you know, uh, people in ICUs or in hospitals seeing like like pediatric heart attacks now, like they've never seen them before in their careers. And they're seeing children coming in with heart attacks and um, strokes and all, all kinds of things. Right. And, and no one's allowed to like speak about this, you know, um, people in, you know, outpatient practices um, seeing like just a tremendous number of vaccine injuries and side effects compared, like they've, like literally they've never made a bears report in their career and now they're making bears reports or they should be, but it takes so long to do it that they don't have time. Right. Like, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I've heard of doctors who have like 20,000 <laughs> reports that they should make to bears and they, and they just don't have the time. It's like 30 minutes minimum per report. Um, yeah. who, who can possibly do that? Yeah. 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 And that, that, that is crazy. And I, I, I find that, I find that super odd, but the worst, I mean, it, this just this whole thing uh just to say just to say for a second that it is just you know spitballing it is scripted okay they plan to do this what what do you think the ultimate goal is here so i think you know the goal with governments always want more power right mm -hmm. like um and and they use any and this is well understood, well established, that they'll use any crisis to take more power. And, and that's just like the psychology of government, right? That's just how it works. You know, human beings um, who are in a position of power always want more, right? People who have money always want more money. And so like human beings always want more of what they, what they have that um, kind of like feeds into their ego and makes them, you know, feel that they're more in control. So like, it's just a matter of like human nature, right? So like people need to understand that, that governments want to extend their powers and, and grab onto more of them. This is what happened after 9-11, right? They, they, you know, the Patriot Act came out and then like all these extra government powers never went away. You know, they're still yeah. not gone. Um, they're still in effect. And so this is what's happening now. Um, and recently somebody published, um, a physician published this thing about the uh, smallpox pandemic in the late 1800s. And he was showing that there's a lot of parallels to what's happening now. There were actually mandatory vaccines back then. And then they extended them to kids and, and people were like fed up with it. You know, they were just like, this stuff isn't working. The pandemic's not going away. It's getting worse, you know, and people are dying from these vaccines and, and you couldn't get an exemption and you couldn't like, like maybe your your one of your kids died from the smallpox vaccine and then you still had to give it to the second kid. And um, and so like, finally, the, the only way out of that insanity, which is the same insanity we're seeing now, was that people just like put their feet down and they were just like, we're not taking it anymore. And we just refuse. There was like a revolt, basically. There were these huge protests and they just like overturned all these mandates and they just said enough, enough with it. Um, all we're going to do is that we will, if somebody gets sick with smallpox, they should be isolated, you know, so that they don't spread it to somebody else. That's it. And, and eventually, you know, and, and, you know, the smallpox, the end of the pandemic was, um, that, that like victory was assigned to vaccines, even though it really had nothing to do with vaccines. They kept trying to force people to keep getting vaccinated. And finally they said enough is enough. We're not going to get vaccinated anymore. And they dropped it. Um, and then the pandemic ended. Um, and so, 
so it's you know like like Gert Van den Bosch, right? He's from I think the Netherlands, somewhere in Europe, anyway. Um, he's been arguing since the beginning that vaccinating in the middle of a new pandemic virus is just going to push the evolution of the virus in the direction of becoming more virulent, easier to catch, and possibly worse. Right? Mm-hmm. You're you're interfering with its natural evolution. You're you're making it evade that immunity that you're artificially introducing. You know, so you're introducing antibodies. Into like 50% or more in some places, 90%, some places, some, some groups, like 99% of the population is being given antibodies to this virus. And, and maybe it would work if the vaccine like really killed it and stopped the spread, right? Like it was in, like, if you had a, a vaccine, you could not spread it to anyone else. The virus ended with you, right? You caught it and you killed it and it was over. It didn't go anywhere else, but that's not the way these vaccines work, right? They're, they're not sterilizing vaccines. You don't create sterilizing immunity, which means that you like kill it completely. They're leaky vaccines. So, so the virus enters somebody who's vaccinated and they have these antibodies. And then like, there's millions and millions of copies of this virus made. Some of those copies of the virus end up, you know, evolving in such a way their, their genetics change in such a way that they can evade that immunity or maybe like a little bit evade that that antibody that's in that person and then they go and you know infect somebody else and then they again get exposed to these antibodies like another vaccinated person and then millions and millions of copies are made evolution does its thing and you know some new variant of the virus develops and so this is the issue that we're we're creating this what he calls immune pressure um which is pushing the virus down a different evolutionary pathway to evade those those specific vaccines and and the way that vaccine development works right like we have vaccines to the alpha variant and now we're like two years into this and we're like you know seven variants in and you know or whatever and um and you're still using the same vaccine you were using against the initial variant and now you have omicron which has like you know 22 or more mutations in the spike protein which is the thing you're actually vaccinated against you're vaccinated against the spike protein itself and so that's what you should we should expect you know to happen is that the spike protein is going to change you know it's going to evolve to look different so that it evades the vaccines and and so the the thing that's just nonsensical nowadays is you keep seeing a push for vaccines is and it's like how can you mandate something when it's been shown proven beyond any doubt that it doesn't stop the spread of the virus. It doesn't protect anyone. You know, if I get vaccinated, you're not protected from me. I can still give you the virus. Like, it just makes no sense at all. Like, you know, the only way that you can argue that you should do this on, on an entire population is if first you've proven that it's safe, it's not going to harm people who are already well, right? You're not going to harm them. And second, you're actually going to benefit the other people, right? You're going to benefit the herd. You know, the like there's going to be herd immunity. You're going to contribute to herd immunity the vaccines don't contribute to herd immunity like if anything there's this concern that they cause an immunodeficiency in the herd you know the people who are vaccinated are developing an immunodeficiency and they're becoming less able to update their immunity with new variants you know they they can't um their immune systems are just stuck on that initial variant that they um have developed you know quote-unquote immunity to um and they're not able to um fight off newer variants even if you give them even if they get infected, right, they don't have a proper immune response to to the new variants like Omicron. And even if you come up with an Omicron, you know, virus, or you come up with, even if you, and in the direction this is headed, which I'm afraid of, is that like, they've developed this kind of platform, this mRNA platform, and they're just going to plug in new variants, and they're just going to roll it out without any studies, right? Like, eventually, they're just going to say, like, kind of like the 
you know, the influenza virus platform where they like change it every year, but mm-hmm. they don't have to like run studies on people for it. Right. They're just going to like push it out there into the population without any studies eventually. And, and so like, and then, and then they'll be able to do it, you know, really quickly. Um, you know, with Omicron, I think they're still going through the whole study, you know, um, phase of it. But eventually they're, they're planning for this to be a platform technology that you could just plug in, you know, new things, um, new viruses, new variants, and just roll it out to people, you know, right away. And, you know, if Gert Vandenbosch is right, and I, I mean, he's been right with every prediction he's made so far, if we continue with the vaccination effort, we'll continue to create worse and worse variants, and it'll never end. Like, this is a never-ending, like slow-rolling um, disaster happening in front of our eyes, um, and so, so that that's like one part of the disaster, right? The the pandemic. That's one part of the pandemic response, which is really like a disaster for human beings, and and all the other parts of the pandemic response are different kinds of disasters too. You know, the lockdowns and the masks. I mean, lockdowns at this point. A lot of people have argued that they've killed way more people than they've protected, right? I mean, there was a, a study out of Johns Hopkins recently, mm-hmm. you know, arguing this. There have been other studies that have shown that, you know, millions more life years lost. And what I mean by that is, like, the lockdowns have killed people who are much younger than, the, you know, supposedly the people who died from COVID-19. You know, those numbers are obviously inflated. You know, a lot of, you know, gunshot wound to the head is not a COVID-19 death, <laughs> you know, motorcycle accident, um, you know. Maybe by some stretch of the imagination, maybe the person was like delirious from COVID and they got in an accident. But, you know, a lot, we, we know, I think everyone knows that a lot of those deaths weren't actually due to COVID-19. They were with COVID-19. But still, even if you give them the benefit of the doubt, you count all the deaths that happened to co- from COVID, supposedly from COVID. It's, all those deaths skewed really old. Like in the U.S., um, people who died from COVID primarily were like 80 and above. You know, oh. so people who... Maybe they had a few months left. Maybe they had a couple years left, right? So, like, in terms of life years lost, not that many, right, for an 80-year-old. Like, you know, maybe you die a few years early. But if a 50-year-old dies, they're losing maybe 30 years of life, right, of, of possible life in the future. And so, like, the deaths due to lockdowns, which are deaths from death, – first of all, deaths of, like, despair – like overdose deaths, um, deaths due to homicides, suicides, um, overdoses, you know, things like that, but also deaths due to other diseases that have nothing to do with COVID, right? So deaths from heart disease, lung disease, cancer, strokes, um, things like that happened in much, much higher numbers due to lockdowns, um, maybe because people weren't getting the care that they should have gotten or they weren't getting, um, you know, follow-up care or whatever, right? They just didn't go to hospitals. And I saw this, like, on the front lines. I was working in hospitals when the pandemic hit and everyone is expecting we're going to be like overloaded with patients. We're going to be like dying and we're going to be working 24 hour days and we're, we're never going to go home. Right. And so I, I actually like applied to go work in New York, right? Like right on the front lines. I was like, I want to help them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like they were, they were offering doctors like double pay, you know, like double the normal rates. And they were just like desperate for people. And they were like, you know, just sending out emails and calls, um, you know, all day long, trying to get people to come to New York and help on the front lines. And, and, and so they hired some people, but then like all of a sudden the numbers just like fell off a cliff and no one went to the hospital. No one was going to the hospital. So like for any reason, because everyone was deathly afraid of going to the hospital, right? Because of COVID. And so like heart attacks weren't showing up, you know, pneumonias weren't showing up, you know, the usual, the the usual reasons for people to go into the hospital, they were just staying home. You know, they were like, I'm not going to risk it. You know, I'm just going to handle this at home. I'm not going in. And so like all of a sudden, all those contracts were canceled. And like, there was suddenly no work 
for hospitalists, you know, hospital doctors, there was no work available anywhere in the country. Um, and this went on for months. It went on for, um, I mean, really like the, the work was really difficult to find for probably a year. And, and what I had been doing, I was doing this kind of like part-time work. I would like go to a hospital and help them out for a few months. And then once they didn't need my help anymore, I would move on to a different hospital. So I had to transition to telemedicine, you know, so I did telemedicine um, for a few months, just like general telemedicine with a big telemedicine company, because there was literally no work available. It was just, it completely dried up. Well, and that, that, that's, you're absolutely right. Because I have a good friend of mine. We've talked about him on the show before. He's a doctor in New York city. And, uh, when I called him and I asked him, cause I heard, you know, all these stories about, oh, well, they're, they're bringing the morgue trucks directly to the, mm-hmm. to, to the side of the street. Cause the body bags are stacking up and they're just loading them right into morgue trucks. So I called my buddy. I was just like, oh my Lord, because he, uh, he was in, uh, special forces with me. He was, um, started out as a PA. Now he's a doctor because literally they got to go take like two tests. And before you know it, they're freaking doctors. Doctors. And um, he, uh, when he he got out, he got out of the military. He went and started practicing privately in New York City. And I called him. I was like, "Hey, I was like, dude, I heard it's real bad." I was like, "I'm amazed you had time to take my call." He's like, "What are you talking about?" I was like, "Well, I heard you're like, stacking body bags out on the street, and they're having the more trucks come through like old bloodletting like uh, ceremonies like you know back in england when people were like bring out your dead you know and they're walking around the cart and they're throwing them on the cart and everybody's dragging them off to burn off the bodies during the, you know the black plague and uh he's like dude i have not played more tetris my whole entire life than for this time right now and he yeah. works in a city hospital downtown in new york city and he said we're bored nobody's yeah. here yeah. So, yeah. So, so my point basically was that like people were deathly afraid of going in, they weren't going in, you know, they were having heart attacks and they were just like dying at home, um, yeah. you know, popping an aspirin and maybe they survive and then they die a few months later because they had a horrible heart attack that was never treated. Um, and so like those deaths happened in like, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70 year olds who had decades left to live. So, so the pandemic response of, so first of all, just like this, um, fear porn that was spread by the mainstream media literally killed people, right? It killed people because it made them so afraid of going to get medical attention um, of, of a virus that had like, you know, even from the start, you know, minimum levels of, you know, morbidity and death, right? And primarily for very elderly people who are at risk from this, but like people were so incredibly afraid of it that, you know, even like they wouldn't even take in their kids. to the hospital when when they shouldn't have even thought twice about that right because kids were like such low risk so people um were acting in ways that made no sense and they were being encouraged by the mainstream media and by the federal government to be incredibly afraid of something that should not have you know inspired that much fear you know it should have been kind of like the swedish response where we'll protect you know people over 65 everyone else just go about your business you know as usual and don't worry and you'll be fine um and so uh, th- this was, you know, so many different ways that they've, um, and and then, you know, what else happened, right? Like people, uh, they shut down all the small and medium-sized businesses, right, to the benefit of giant corporations like Amazon, right? And 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 when when your entire livelihood is destroyed, you know, like I mean, restaurants just like demol, you know. So so what this does is it encourages like consolidation, right, by Wall Street. Like we're going to come in and buy up all these like small mom and pop shops and all these restaurants and turn them into chains, and um, and then the people who lose those jobs you know they end up you know committing you know suicide or homicide or something right so like just in so many different ways it just destroyed 
societies all around the world, right? And and we're going to be dealing with the after effects of this probably for generations. Like people don't understand that, like you know, when when a population goes through like you know something horrible, it affects epigenetics and it gets passed on to your grandkids, right? So like your children, your grandchildren even are going to be different because of this like trauma that's been inflicted on on really really the entire world that didn't ever have to be right like we knew from the first couple of months of the pandemic that off-label drugs worked you know we knew this and we should have just like jumped on it and we could have like literally ended the the even the virus right even though it wasn't such a big deal right from the start you know we could have ended it you know we could have we could have protected the elderly we could have stopped the transmission with things like ivermectin hydroxychloroquine um and and we didn't you know and so you have to ask like why right and the you know there was, like you said, there was a script, right? Like you see like heads of state from like dozens, even more, right? Like 50, hundreds of countries, right? All saying the exact same words on television, the exact yeah. same words coming out of their mouths. They're, obviously, you know, that's a script by definition, right? They were all following the same script. And we've never seen, um, I think, anything on this scale where governments all kind of like jump in the same boat, maybe climate change, right? That is the only other thing. And so, you know, the powers that be, whoever it is, you know, in, in the background, you know, this is, it is, it appears to be following a plan, right? And it appears to be following something that's been laid out and planned. You know, obviously the pandemic response was planned. It was war gamed, right? And I think like event 201, right? Yeah. Um, so, so this has been war gamed and it's been planned out for decades. Probably. The suppression of ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine was most definitely planned. We learned that in Fauci's emails when he flat out says, suppress that, squash that. We, we don't want that getting out. Um, he also knew that it worked prior to, you know, anything. He knew that those two drugs were very effective. He knew hydroxychloroquine um, worked in the 90s when he yep. came out with an article saying that it it it's essentially a cure for any coronavirus. Um, and, you know, something else you said about shutting down small businesses and, uh, and, and it all going to corporations, you know, they told us they were going to do that 10 years ago when they started talking about redistribution of wealth, right? They're talking about, except that they did it the opposite way. They were talking about redistri redistribution of wealth, taking the, the money away from the big corporations and giving it to the people. But in reality, what they did is they took all the money away from the people and they gave it to the large corporations because we've seen the largest redistribution of wealth in the last two years than we ever have before. And, and it certainly didn't come our way. You, you also started me. Now I'm thinking of a new conspiracy theory that you may have just started <laughs> in my head because I was thinking about this earlier, but I'd never really given it. You just kind of gave me some direction with it. But one of the things you brought up was for instance, the small businesses, you said that, but then right after thinking about that, you, then you said, well, where did that push people? Where, where do they close the mom and pop shops? Well, that pushed people Amazon. Well, what else did we learn in this pandemic? Well, we also learned that 90% of America does not have to go to an office building to work. So what happened to what's going to happen to all those properties in downtown New York, for instance, that the classic office setting is gone. Who profited the most from that though? BlackRock. No, Zoom, which is a Yes. A Microsoft. Zoom was un, basically unknown and unused which before is the pandemic. A and Microsoft then every program. school across the country picked it up to do their online school which is owned by who microsoft bill gates bill gates yeah. and bill gates was out there touting how you can't get you oh you have to get vaccinated you have to do 
a guy who's not, I would take more advice from Dr. Saeed because he actually holds the title of doctor and did not stay in a Holiday Inn Express last night. Uh, and Bill Gates came out and said that we could reduce the population of the planet by 10 to 15% through vaccines. Hmm. Um, you know, they, they tried to fact check that one, but we, we have the video, we have the soundbite. We've heard him say it. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> check yeah. that. Um, so have you been, have you been treating people with vaccine injuries? Have you seen patients with vaccine injuries? What are, what are you seeing? Terrible, some terrible vaccine injuries. Right. And, and the, even worse than the fact that there's so many vaccine injuries out there is the fact that like the vast majority of them don't even realize they have a vaccine injury. Right. So they, and, and this is the fault of the medical system, right. That like, they'll go to a doctor and be like, Hey doc, I, like I can't sleep anymore. I have like terrible debilitating anxiety or like, I have like, I'm so tired. I can't do anything. Or like, I'm so confused. I can't even think of words. I can't remember things. Um, I'm not able to work. Like help me, you know, what is wrong with me? And they'll run like a million dollar workup and they won't find anything because they don't know where to look, you know, they, they don't have any tests that will show the problem, right? They're not looking for spike protein in the body. They're not looking for a specific forms of inflammation and specific inflammatory markers um, that aren't in the usual tests, right? So, so there is, you know, one, only one lab that I know of that can run tests and actually detect the types of inflammation triggered by persistent spike protein in the body or, or the S1 subunit of spike protein, which is probably um, what causes vaccine injuries, the same thing that causes long COVID. So the S1 portion of the spike protein gets stored in these immune system cells called monocytes. And those cells usually die off after like a month or so. Um, but when they, they kind of get, um, abnormal and they start functioning abnormally and they just persist, they don't die and they hold on to the spike protein and they release, they cause inflammation which when they shouldn't be. And that inflammation is what's causing, you know, all of these, you know, chronic debility, in some cases, debilitating symptoms that in some people are lasting for years. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and so I have treated a lot of them with the usual suspects, right? Ivermectin, um, fluvoxamine, steroids, um, you know, vitamins, obviously, vitamin D, C, quercetin, zinc, um, and what else are we using now that we're using, um, low dose naltrexone now we're also using, um, we're using things like turmeric or curcumin and black seed oil. And so a lot of things that work for the acute infection also work to clear up um, these things. And, you know, they, they are treatable, but they're actually, it's, it's, a, it's a longer and a harder slog to treat, you know, chronic, a chronic issue than it is to just like fix an acute issue and prevent the chronic issue from happening in the first place. So I would, you know, really highly recommend even people who think that they're low risk for this, um, still treat it. You know, um, I, I think the only people I would really say, don't even worry about it, don't even think twice about it, you know, and don't treat it at all are people are kids under 10. And, and you could make a pretty strong argument, anyone under 20 kind of doesn't really have to worry about it. Um, maybe even 25. But like, I do like the older you get, the more long COVID um, you start to see, and, and certainly you see vaccine injuries, but like the, the greatest number of vaccine injuries and long COVID happen, in my experience, people 30 to 55. And then uh, people, you know, above 55, you start getting into like problems with the acute infection itself um, and, and possibly also acute vaccine injuries um, and deaths um, and things, things like that, hospitalizations and, and serious acute illness. But the the majority of the people I see with, with chronic issues developing are 30 to 55 year olds who oftentimes think that they're low risk and they'd have nothing to worry about from the infection or the vaccine. Um, but like, and, and we don't really have great data to like 
talk about numbers, like what percentage of these people are developing it. And, and one of the issues is that like, there's different definitions of it. So like, depending on the definition, people have estimated it as low as 10% of people who get infected, develop long COVID up to as high as 90% of people who get infected. Um, and, and, enough data and research has not been done. We haven't collected the data to figure out. And, you know, the problem is we're not looking, you know, we're not asking the questions in the first place. Um, mm -hmm. and, and this is really a, a terrible thing. I mean, so many, a lot of times I'll, I'll say the word long COVID and people are like, what is long COVID? You know, it's not even being talked about um, in the mainstream. And a lot of times also in alternative media, um, we're not asking this question. We're so like worked up and worried about the acute disease and the acute pandemic and the acute infection that we're not thinking about the, the chronic issues that are developing in, in at this point, millions of people um, around the world. And, and sometimes it's kind of like a subtle shift in your um, health. Um, sometimes it's, you know, moderate shift. Sometimes it's severe. Um, but even like, and the, the biggest problem is that we don't know, um, you know, like, so I just saw a study, right? Like, what are the long-term effects of it? Even, even if you have the infection um, and you don't feel like you have any problems with your health that have developed, you, you, you think you don't have long COVID, right? There could still be inflammation in your body that's bring, making you more prone to like heart disease, for example. So like th there's research recently showing that the, the rates of heart disease in people who have had COVID, right, are much higher in the next year. Right. So they, they test it out to a year and something like 20, 30 percent more heart attacks, strokes, um, you know, um, heart failures. You know, so so it's doing something to people's bodies, even if they don't think it is. And, and just like the people who are getting the vaccine, the the toxic substance is well, I mean, there's other toxic substances in the vaccine, but the primary one is the spike protein itself. And you're exposed to the spike protein from infection. And from vaccination, um, I would argue with the infection, it's not as bad of an exposure than it is from the vaccine because the, the infection doesn't get injected into your body, right? Like it doesn't bypass all of your surface, you know, and, and all of the surface immunity. So the, the infection comes in through your nose and mouth, right? And then you have like a surface immune response and, and yeah. then it like, and it gradually ramps up. There's this gradual ramp up of, you know, spike protein quantities in your body versus the injection, it bypasses all of the surface and goes straight into your, oftentimes your bloodstream, right? Like it spreads through your blood. Um, so the injection goes into your muscle and then it spreads through your blood and it goes to tissues all over your body. Um, and, and then there's a sudden huge spike in production of spike protein, which doesn't happen with the natural infection. Um, but, but in both cases, at the end of the day, the problem is spike protein, right? The mo one of the most worrisome studies I saw recently was showing that in the lymph nodes of people, you know, and these are, th this is like immune tissue that drains different parts of your body into, so like, you know, your arm will like drain into lymph nodes in your, um, in your uh, armpit and, you know, everywhere you, you have um, lymphatics, you know, it's kind of similar to blood vessels, but they drain um, kind of like veins. They drain um, things out of the body into lymph nodes, which are like collections of immune cells where, um, you know, antibodies are created, for example. So mm -hmm. what they found is that the, the mRNA is persisting for at least a month, if not longer. Um, and the spike protein is actually still being produced, you know, weeks after it was injected, which is not what it was supposed to do, right? And it's being produced in the lymph nodes. Um, and, and possibly, uh, who knows how long, right? That's just as long as they checked, you know, for, for a month. So it's, um, and, and one of the, you know, possibly like mRNA is supposed to degrade, right? Like normal, natural mRNA in your body should like break down and just disappear, right? 
and, and within days, not within weeks, right? Um, and it should become non-functional. But one of the things that they changed from, you know, Robert Malone's initial research into this mRNA technology is they added this like artificial base pair called pseudouridine into the mRNA. So it one so that, you know, there's four bases in DNA, there's four bases in RNA. And so there's like four building blocks of DNA and RNA. And one of those building blocks is an artificial in the vaccine itself is an artificial building block, right, that they've used to help it evade the immune system to help it evade breakdown. Um, and also, I mean, I guess the the theory or the the argument for using it was partially to help prevent autoimmunity right to help prevent mm-hmm. like a an immune response by the by the you know people who are injected causing like autoimmunity um but basically to help to, to prevent the immune system from recognizing it and breaking it down and that may be why it's persisting and still remaining active and so people are just pumping out spike protein um a lot of them um who have not been able to clear the mrna or the spike protein and and this is creating like a ongoing you know immune response and chronic inflammation in people who are getting you're, ta- you're talking about viral shedding right there am i correct in what you're so, saying so yeah so not not necessarily um i have talked to a lot of people a lot of my patients say that you know they feel totally fine and then they you know go and have you know go and meet somebody who's been vaccinated and they feel sick you know this i've heard over and over again and we have to get to the bottom of it right like what is that is it um spike protein is it mrna and you know are they are they sweating it out are they breathing it out um it's possible right like it's within the realm of possibility and at this point i kind of suspect that that's what's happening um but what i'm talking about is that your people who get injected are creating it inside their own bodies right they're um they're continuing to create spike protein because the mrna is still working it's still you know you're still kickstarting your cells to churn out spike protein what happens with that spike protein then you know obviously it floats around in your own body and it causes inflammation it causes an immune response just ongoing immune response um, which is not what happens with a natural infection you know you you have a few days of viral replication and then you're done you know Mm -hmm. and then your body clears up the wreckage and the damage and gets rid of all the you know particles and you know dead virus and gets it out of your body and you're oh you're, you're done you know the virus replicates for maybe you know, a, a week or two, right? And then you're done uh, for like five, six days before symptoms or for five, six days after symptoms, you know, you're done within 10 days. Um, but with these, you know, injections, you're continuing to have, um, you're continuing to jumpstart the immune system and like kick it in the pants and like get it to produce antibodies, which is not normal, right? Like your immune system um, doesn't want to keep being forced to create an immune response to something. That is by definition like a chronic inflammatory state, right? So you want it to do its job and then stop. And and oftentimes you even see in some cases with natural infections that you can't detect antibodies anymore. Like so, so like you were saying um, that you got you know injected with a vaccine and then they couldn't find antibodies. That doesn't always mean that you're not immune anymore. You know, so you have B cells. Um, you know, in your immune system that learn how to create the antibodies and then they never forget. Like those B cells continue multiplying and stay with you lifelong. So maybe they reduce in numbers, but there's always going to be some of them there. And so if you're re-exposed, they will recognize it and they'll start pumping out antibodies, right? Um, So this is a normal immune response. Like you don't necessarily want your immune system to constantly be creating be creating antibodies to everything you've ever been exposed to in your entire life. It's like doing stuff that it doesn't necessarily need to do because it can, you know, go from zero to like 60 in a split second, right? Like it can go from not creating antibodies to creating antibodies 
you know, at the drop of a hat. So what? when it gets re-exposed, it can start, it can pump out tremendous quantities of antibodies at demand. Well, that, it, it seems like, and I hate to quote Jeff Goldblum here, but it, it's like the mRNA vaccine is looking to reproduce for life. You know, it, it, it's trying to stay alive, just like any other virus, just like anything else out there. It's trying to stay alive. It's trying to keep it. Well, the way I'm understanding what you're saying, um, it's trying to stay alive. So for instance, like, um, what is the one one goal of humans were to reproduce? Okay. Um, if that weren't the case, then we wouldn't have sex and people wouldn't, you know, push out four or five kids. However, that is our goal. Our longevity is done through reproduction. The same thing is true with the virus. It's just looking to live. Just like um, for instance, on you know, Jurassic Park, for instance, Jeff Goblin, you know, he said life always finds a way. There was, they were supposed to be all females on in in the park and what happened well life found a way and they found a way to mate with or reproduce without having male cells present and his point was that it, it we're screwing with something we really shouldn't screw with and that's a great analogy for what this is or what my belief of this is is we're screwing with something we don't understand the power behind it uh, nor should, why would we screw with God's plan? That's or my biggest point. Maybe they do understand the power behind it and they're intentionally screwing with God's plan. There because is a possibility. When, when you, when you back it all up and, you know, we've talked about it being scripted and there being a plan and, and all that, you know, we, we know that COVID was designed in Wuhan as a bioweapon, the, the original virus. There's, there's little doubt about that now. Um, just the fact that they pushed they suppressed that so hard that they pushed the narrative of that, you know, bat soup in Wuhan. I mean, you knew that was bullshit right off the bat because they pushed that narrative so hard. Obviously, they were lying. It was a bioweapon designed in a lab. What and we found this out at the very beginning. But what initially shocked me was to find out that the mRNA vaccine was actually developed before the virus ever was. So it's like, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, in this this case, it was it was the egg. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, it makes you think you you just you follow that path and everything falls into line like everyone. They, why? Why would they keep pushing these vaccines when they know that they're killing people? Why are they suppressing all of this information? Why is the media lying to everybody all the time? You know, why, why, why? Well, if you flip it on its head and say, well, they knew that this was going to happen in the, the testing of the mRNA vaccines that they did initially. All of the animals died. Um, they they knew it was going to kill people. Well, maybe that's their goal. Right. If you put it that way, that they knew what the effect was going to be. And that was the plan. Then it, it all makes sense. Now, all of a sudden, we're following the Georgia Guidestones. Well, there's that, too. But <laughs> interesting. What's that? So the George, he said, now all of a sudden we're following the Georgia Guidestones. We took a field trip. We live not too far, well, about three hours from there. So we took a field trip to the Georgia Guidestones last year. And, uh, and they're very freaky. Um, they're, it's the, these stones in the middle of nowhere. There's four, uh, there's four total plates all the way around. And then it's cupped, it's topped with another plate and it's all celestial pointing and all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. But on it, it basically says the first state statement says, keep the population under 500 million. Um, so you're not a virus on the world. Yeah, pretty much. To, and it was like, uh, that's yeah. the first statement. Yeah. That's the first thing you Ma read. Maintain you're like, the population under 500 million. Um, but but going back, I have I have two questions for you, and this gets a this is this is for personal information for me. Um, my dad is uh, brainwashed, and and I hope he listens to this because I know he doesn't because he's brainwashed. Um, he's come out to me and said like 
are you really saying that the media is lying to me all the time? Yes, dad, that's exactly what I'm saying. And uh, he was very mad when he had to take my mom to get a COVID test. My mom is not vaccinated because, well, I get my allergy from her. Um, but he missed his appointment to get his booster shot for his vaccine because he had to go take my mom to get a COVID test. And uh, so upset. I, and I was so mad that he got vaccinated in the first place that he got the jab because after getting the jab, he started pissing blood. Now, mind you, my dad, before prior to getting inoculated, he was incredibly healthy, 66 when he got his first shot. I won't um, say incredibly healthy. Well, all right. he was better. He, he, he was doing he better was, than most. Yes, most definitely. You know, he was active. Um, he's an engineer. He he basically built his own house. Um, he uh, he he never I mean, the man was up from sunrise to, to sunset and, you know, till the evening news came on. He never took a break. He went all day. And, um, you know, he, he was a 32, 32 for my entire life. And then he took the first jab and now he can't remember anything. I mean, the brain fog is tremendous. He has to nap after about two hours worth of work. He probably takes two or three naps a day. He's gained 30 pounds. Um, my mom keeps having to buy him new jeans because he's just gaining weight and gaining weight. And then he started pissing blood. So he went to the urologist and they stuck a camera up his urethra and they said, well, we can't find anything. So you must be okay. It's just a little bit of blood. I'm sure you're, we can't find anything. So you're fine. Like, that's not how that works. That's not what that means. And then, then he, after his booster, he started getting a rash. It started on his face and then it moved all the way down his chest. And I was like, dad, that's um, ba basically petechial hemorrhaging, like, well, not petechial, but you're, you're in, you know, you're hemorrhaging internally. Like those are mm -hmm. blood clots. And, uh, and he didn't listen to me. And now he can't breathe. And he sounds like a human beatbox all the time because every breath he takes, it, it makes a noise. Like he's physically expelling the breath out of his lungs and it, and it makes a <coughs> constantly. Yeah. It never stops. And he, he went into the doctor and they did, you know, x-rays and cat scans and they said, Oh, we can't find anything. It's all in your head. I'm like, well, yeah, it's in your head too, but no, it's, and I'm telling my mom, I'm like, mom, this is all, there's the same root cause to all of this. She's like, I don't understand what's happening with your dad. I'm like, well, here's what's happening. He's vaccine injured. This all comes from the vaccine. He's got inflammation. He's got micro blood clots. Um, I was like, he's got brain fog. This is all, uh, this is what I've been talking about for a year and a half. And you guys haven't been listening quite obviously. Um, so you mentioned that there is a lab, you know, one lab that does, does tests for things like that. What are, what is the test that I should tell them to get? And what is the lab that we should send it to? Yeah. So the, the place you go, so this is Bruce Patterson's, um, kind of company and he's been, you know, a researcher for probably 30 years at this point, And he's shifted his, all his entire focus to COVID-19, um, you know, long COVID and also vaccine injuries. So his website is covidlonghaulers.com. So just the way, you know, it's spelled like normal, C-O-V-I-D, L-O-N-G, haulers, H-A-U-L-E-R-S.com. And you can, you, you need to, you can register there yourself, but you need to um, give them the name of a physician like myself who, um, works with them and is willing to prescribe the medications that they recommend. And then they'll, I, I think they have labs um, affiliated with them in all 50 states. So they'll, they'll send you the name of a lab nearby that you can go and give the blood um, or they'll come by your house and take the blood. And then they ship it off to California and they run a bunch of different immune markers. Um, and they've developed like a, an algorithm 
you know, based on, you know, artificial intelligence that has is able to predict people who have, um, based on the results, is able to predict whether you are somebody who has long COVID. Um, and then they take into account, obviously, your symptoms, how typical they are for long COVID, and, and uh, you know, interpret the results. And the interesting thing is that some of the immune markers, when they're elevated, they actually point to the use of certain drugs, right? Like, so some immune markers will show vascular inflammation and um, might say, you know, it might you know, uh, recommend, they might recommend that you use something that addresses vascular inflammation specifically. Um, certain immune markers um, can be, when they're elevated, can be addressed by specific drugs, right? Like ivermectin or maraviroc. Um, and, and so it's, and, or for example, fluvoxamine. And so they can kind of predict uh, which protocols might work best for you. Um, so, so again, you have to have like a doctor who's willing to do it. So like you can find me online at mygotodoc.com um, or, you know, if, if your own doctor is willing to do it, which in my experience is like <laughs> never <laughs> the case. Um, so you have to, you have to have some physician who's willing to prescribe the drugs and then you can go to that website and, and register yourself and, um, and get the blood test. And I think it's something like $300 to pay for the blood test and they, they may be able to help you get it um, reimbursed by insurance if you have insurance. Um, and then they have their own proprietary kind of like methodology of interpreting the blood test. Um, and, and so it is oftentimes recommended to go ahead and um, have a consult with one of one of them, you know, from the company to kind of go over and interpret the blood test and give you recommendations on it. Um, and if you do do that, that's another $150 for the interpretation of the blood test. Um, but either way, um, I, I do, I do have some sense of what this blood test means. And I've treated like, you know, hundreds of patients along with them, hand in hand with them, or, or just by myself after seeing the blood tests. Although I do recommend that you get the, the interpretation by them because they're continually doing research and they have kind of their own um, interpretation of their, their blood tests. And they, they know best what the test means, um, but they, they, they won't prescribe anything for you themselves. So you do have to come to a doctor who's willing to prescribe the medications. Um, if you don't want to do the blood test and you're convinced that you have vaccine injury and the symptoms are, are relatively typical, you know, um, you know, there's a broad kind of like swath of symptoms that kind of fall under vaccine injury. But if you've had a vaccine and a sudden change in your health, or if you had COVID and you've become chronically ill, we can just try some of these medications that work um, for long haulers and for vaccine injured patients without doing blood tests. But some people, they um, either want some proof, you know, that this is what's causing their illness. Or, or some people come to me and they're like, you know, I have no symptoms, but I want to know that I'm not injured, right? That there's not something brewing inside. Um, there's not some inflammation that may, you know, a few years from now cause a problem or turn into a problem, right? Like develop, like create a developing problem in me, um, maybe heart disease, maybe, you know, stroke, maybe cancer, you know, whatever it is. Um, and so they, they'll get the blood test for that reason to see if there's something that they should address, even though they feel like they're okay. And you know, one, one of the ways to think about that is that the vast majority of people don't push themselves to the limit. You know, you don't push your organs to their limit. And so you don't know what your limits are even, right? So unless you're like an Olympic athlete, you're not really sure how hard you can push your, your heart and your lungs, right? And, um, and so you might have actually a decrease in organ function and not be aware of it. 
right? And and it, and if you really pushed yourself hard, uh, but then you would have to have pushed yourself before the shot or before the infection and also after. So um, some people who are you know elite athletes or they they regularly push themselves really hard, they're the ones who notice that there's a change in their health. And a, and a large majority of people who don't regularly exercise or really push themselves to their physiological limits, they they may not realize that their health has taken a hit after mm-hmm. an infection or a vaccine. Yeah, and it seems like those those people that are that are in the peak of health that push themselves the hardest um, pre and post vaccination are the ones that are experiencing the most severe debilitating illness. And yet the the couch potatoes that are you know just sitting there watching NBC or CNN twenty four seven or don't really seem to to be injured. Um, I don't know. So I think I think the difference there it's not that they're escaping injury it's that they're not aware of it and so like the people who are pushing themselves are kind of like compressing the problem and becoming aware of it right away and like maybe like dropping dead on like a soccer field for example um so so those people are um experiencing the problem right away because they are kind of like pushing themselves harder whereas the people the couch potatoes I think they're going to have more problems down the road and later on, mostly, yeah, later on, they're, they're just not going to be linked back to the vaccine or the initial illness. Perhaps it's just going to be like, Oh, you're getting older and this would have happened no matter what. Right. Like, you know, what proof do we have that it was the vaccine, but there is this way to prove it. Right. So you can actually go to this lab and get a test that shows like a certain specific pattern of immune inflammation, um, which happens after when you're exposed to the spike protein, either from infection or from vaccination. That's, that's, well, that's great information. Amazing information. And Thank I, you so much. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that because, um, yes, I will be going over to my parents' house this afternoon or tomorrow to uh, harass my my dad. Uh, he's got a big shiner because he actually randomly fell down, um, doesn't remember it, but he was wow. tiling and uh, he, my mom came home from the store and there was a blood trail through the yard and the garage. And she was like, what happened? He's like, Oh, I cut my finger. And his whole face was messed up because he'd apparently fallen on his face and he did cut his finger, but he, he lost consciousness for a while and uh, he has no recollection of it. So it's a giant shiner right now. So I'm hoping that he's had enough instances now where he's recognizing that there's something really wrong. I mean, I was able to harass him to go to the doctor in the first place when he didn't want to go. Um, even though they were entirely unhelpful, but maybe I can harass him to I'm I'm pretty good at being uh, persistent and stubborn. So I believe um, pain in the ass is the yeah. uh, actual title, <laughs> the technical yeah. term yeah, for that. You up long enough, yes. Doc. Uh, we're gonna uh, make sure that uh, my go-to Doc is where we can find people can find you if they want to go see you specifically concerning uh, any of the medications we just talked about. Uh, and uh, I'm gonna make sure we keep that running yeah. too. I'll put that one up there, and then I'm gonna run that one right below it. So um, that's huge. Uh, that's a big one. We always we when we find doctors who are willing to put their stuff out there like that, especially uh, for like uh, Dr. Stella, for instance, we always, we do a lot with her. We tell people go see Dr. Stella. Now we have another one, Dr. Saeed, go to Dr. Saeed. You can get, uh, you know, you can talk to him about whatever issues you're having. And of course, uh, if you think you've been injured, you go to the covidlonghaulers.com and get your blood tested. That's uh, outstanding information for yeah, us to put that's out. That's amazing. People. We're um, going to do that to you too, by the way. We appreciate you coming on. We appreciate you spending dang near two hours with us. Uh, and it's been a great conversation. I want to bring you back. Um, if you don't mind, I, I love when we have, we do this thing. Um, we do it quarterly. Normally uh, we have a, what we call a COVAX special. Yeah, we call it a COVAX special where we focus on the vaccine, focus on COVID, the vaccines, um, 
And it's uh, myself, uh, obviously my wife. Uh, we have uh, deplorable Janet. She's a former nurse. Um, and and a, um, a former, specifically vaccine-focused yes. nurse. So she mm. discovered the issues with vaccines and specifically the adjutants in the vaccines um, when she was doing research that she like they basically they were like, hey, you need to give these vaccines. And she's like, what's in them? And they're like, we don't know. So she started doing her own research. And then she was like, whoa, no. Um, so, yeah, so she's, and then she's been a great resource. Another f uh, friend of ours is uh, Medic Matt. He's from the UK. Yeah. And we get there. Uh, what's going on in the UK as compared to what's going on in the US. And I'd love to include you in that conversation because I think you would love that conversation. And they go pretty long. And uh, we do a lot of talking. We, we talk about the news, a lot of the news concerning covid what what's out there um what people are saying now as compared to what they were saying you know months ago yeah. and we, right. we do these quarterly they're a lot of fun and i think you would i think you'd be a great addition to that so i'd love to invite you back for that um but i know you've got to run and uh we've got other interviews coming up as well but we really do appreciate you coming on today and uh we had a i had a great conversation with you yeah it's fantastic I'm, yeah absolutely it's been my pleasure i just want to like um just highlight to people that um, you can you can actually get a lot of information from my website without paying anything. You, ha you can actually register for free and ask any questions that you have or want to ask um, basically indefinitely. So like communication and information we share freely with people. Um, and so uh, if if you request a prescription, that's when there's a charge. And, and even that, if you really can't afford it, you know, just let us know and we'll either lower or waive the fee for you, the doctor's fee for you. And and so my, my goal is really to help as many people as possible get the drugs into their medicine cabinet. Um, and and so you can get a free ebook that tells you kind of like all the over-the-counter things you can do at mygotodoc.com. And then you can register as a patient actually without without paying a fee. And you can you can actually ask questions through the chat. It's an asynchronous chat. It's not a live chat, but you can send in a question and either my team or myself will answer it. But it'll be like the answer that I've given in the past. If my team member answers it, it'll be something that I've already answered before. And if it's a new question, then it'll it'll be routed to me and, and I'll be the one that answers it. Um, so, so that I think is uh, something that people should... Um, it should know about my website specifically. And the other key thing that differentiates my website is that we search out the cheapest, you know, pharmacies, uh, that provide ivermectin because nowadays you can't go to a pharmacy often that takes insurance because they just won't dispense it to you. They won't give it to you. Um, CVS, Walgreens, Walmart. So we've had to find um, pharmacies that ship it in sometimes from your own state or from out of state. Uh, but we we're constantly on the lookout for the cheapest ones. And in some cases, our, our pharmacies charge, the pharmacies that we're affiliated with charge like one-tenth the price for ivermectin and some of these other drugs compared to, to other pharmacies that are being used by, by a lot of other people. Um, so, so we're we're really trying to focus on, um, you know, helping people and giving them the best deal and, and the lowest prices and just getting the drugs in the, in the hands of people who need them. And the other, the main thing, the other, you know, important thing I want to leave people with is get prepared beforehand. Don't wait until you get sick or you get exposed or whatever to, to rush out and try to find these drugs and get your hands on them because it just takes too long, right? You got to start on day one. Don't wait until you get tested. Really just throw everything at it from day one. And that gives you your best chances of preventing long COVID or hospitalization or, you know, even worse than that if you're older or death. And like I've said over and over again, and uh, Doc, you can steal this from me all you want, but uh, it's better to have and not need than need and not have. So, And uh, I'm actually texting that information to our friend Janet right now because her husband 
um, got the shot as well. And he's having some, some issues and, um, she's been sick and she was looking for, for ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and some other places that we sent her to were just outside of her budget, just too expensive. So this is fantastic. So, um, thank you so much, Dr. Said. That's, yes. that's incredible. I know our listeners are going to be very appreciative because in these, these times, I mean, in, inflation's no joke. I, you know, I, I went yeah. shopping yesterday and I came home with two bag of two bags of Tostitos and I, I showed them to Mick and I was like, the party size bag is the size that the regular bag used to be. And the regular bag is half the size that it used to be. And both are a dollar more. So now you, you spend $6 on what used to cost $4 and you spend $5 on what wasn't even offered previously yeah. on like half of, you know, and I was like, this is shrinkflation plus inflation. Wow. People are broke yeah. all, I mean, all over the place, you know, you spend a hundred bucks to fill up your car uh, with gas and, and that's, you know, I mean, it's, that, that's what people don't, you know, that's what one of the things they don't talk about with universal basic income in that like conversation, the fact that like just giving money to people for doing nothing is going to cause an incredible amount of inflation beyond anyone's wildest imagination, right? Like yeah. not it according won't be to worth anything. Not according to Nancy Pelosi, because yeah, she, when you get, when everybody's working, that's what happens. Yeah. yeah. When everyone has a job, that's when inflation goes up. No, that's, oh, that's not how wow. that works. It, it, see, he's having the same <laughs> Same response that I had. I was wow. just like, no way. I wanted to hit myself in the head with a shovel. Maybe I could yeah. be like little Nikki after I'm done with that one. But either way, we really appreciate your time, Doc. And uh, I'm, I'm serious about bringing you back on. We have, This is right. a great conversation. Um, and we look forward to talking to you again. And uh, again, thank you. Thank you yep, so much. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. All Not right. a problem, sir. Have you a have a great day. You too. So, yep, that was Dr. Saeed. Wow. That uh, was fantastic. That was fantastic. Yes. Again, Check him out. Go to his website, mygotodoc.com for Dr. Saeed. Um, you can talk to him about getting your ivermectin, your uh, hydroxychloroquine, whatever, you know, whatever's ailing you, give him a call, see what he says. Um, again, and uh, I'm going to hit this one again because there's a, I know a lot of people that listen to me or listen to us. Mm -hmm. um, they have been vaccinated. So if you have been vaccinated, you've got a problem. Or your spouse um, or someone in your family has been vaccinated. Yeah. You know, even because we're so many of us are in this position where, we feel like we're alone, you know, that, that everyone around us has been vaccinated and, and we're watching them slowly get sick and, and die sometimes. And it's heartbreaking. Like I talked about with my dad, it's heartbreaking. And I even want to get my mom tested for long COVID just because not that I think she has an issue. I just want to see if there's something that we can prevent in the future. But um, so I, again, go to, covidlonghaulers.com yes covid it's a covid lab that will can test if you've been vaccinated or if you have long covid because they they can specifically test for those things yeah and again uh you heard what doctor said he said they can come pick it up from you or you ship it off i'm not sure how they're going to do it but it's a blood draw i'm sure and uh you can have it sent off to them and that lab will test for those specific things which is really important um i you know especially if you've been vaccinated and you are suffering some of the effects from it um other than that though um, I don't, I, I ain't got much more. Nope. Not going to take it. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to take it. So like, uh, share, subscribe, please. And, uh, again, we start, uh, on Monday at, uh, six 30 will be our first, uh, our first normal. Well, actually it'll be our, it, it'll, cause this comes out in a, well, yeah. in a few days. So, um, so yeah, so Monday, six 30 to eight 30, uh, Monday through Thursday, six 30 to eight 30 yep. on, uh, Twitch rumble, 
Clout Hub and soon to be D Live and hopefully the Fox Foxhole. We're working on that. So um, be sure to tune in to the live broadcast and then Saturday evenings, um, probably a little bit later, starting at like nine o'clock on, on Saturdays, we're going to do a, a late conspiracy show. Maybe we'll bring Dr. Saeed for one, for one of those one time too. That'll be fun. <laughs> a couple hours at least. <laughs> yes. So either way, uh, for the Mick. And Lynn. Have a great day and uh, we appreciate you listening. Thanks for watching.